And hello everyone, welcome to Haunting Live Podcast, and uh, we're back this week, and uh, we apologize again for last week, we have some uh, technical issues on our end here at the connection with the uh, internet and stuff like that, so uh, we think we've got a solution fixed, the issue isn't fully fixed just yet, but um, we do have a solution for this week, and uh, we do welcome back to our podcast this week, our guest that we had on last week, uh, Richard from the Searchers Group. He will be joining us live on audio this week. So we're going to be still talking to him about some stuff that we didn't get to last week and uh, find out some more information about his past and what he's been up to lately as well. So um, we will get to him in a minute. Uh, but thank you guys so much for tuning in this week to Haunting Live Podcast. We are so grateful you could join us again. And we're also grateful that you follow us here each and every week as we bring new and different guests to talk to live here on Haunting Live Podcast. Um, we have reached episode number 32. Uh, this is sort of a continuation of last week. And uh, we're going to continue talking to our guest Richard from the Searchers Group here in just a minute. Um, but we want to say again, thank you so much guys for tuning in. Hope you're having a wonderful weekend. And um, it's been a beautiful weekend here in, in Southern Ontario. So we hope you're having a great weekend wherever you guys are. Um, later on in the show, we'll talk about some other stuff once we're done speaking with Richard about some things that went on last weekend as well that we want to talk about, as well as the special event that we had at the Queen's Inn. So we'll be discussing some stuff about the recap on how things went at our first public event that we've had in a while. So we definitely want to talk about that too at the end of the show today. So uh, thanks guys again so much. So let's just get right to it and uh, continue our conversation with Richard from the Searchers Groups. Let's bring him on in. Hey Trevor, nice to be here. Hi Richard, thank you so much for uh, coming back tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, apologies again for that last week. We had some technical issues, but uh, I think we found a workaround for you this week, and uh, we're just bringing you uh, live on audio, so no video this week, but um, thanks for coming back still, though. No okay, no problem. <laughs> okay, let's start um, at the beginning that we started with and sort of do a recap of where we were last week with you there. Um, can you sort of tell us about how you got into the paranormal? I know you've been doing it for quite a while. Um, I think you're calling yourself the oldest team in Canada, is that correct? That's correct, yes. And uh, when did you uh, actually form the group? Uh, I formed it in 1979. Uh, that was when I turned 18 years old. I thought I was old enough um, and uh, decided I needed to, to do, a, do some serious work. So I formed, uh, I started a company called the Searcher Group and uh, started from there and uh, progressed. That's, uh, I'm in my 42nd year with that, with the company. Right, amazing. And did you start off just by yourself at that time or did you have other people that you were involved with that, at that time? Um, yeah, I basically started off by myself and uh, I just went to look at uh, People would call me or tell me about a haunted uh, location, and I would go out and investigate. Uh, or I would ask for authorization to get into certain buildings and see what they had going on that were reputed 
to be haunted. And then he would go in and uh, find out if it was true or if it wasn't true. Or, and uh, as as we as I progressed, and uh, my brother was was a, a teen. All right, sounds interesting. And um, how was the field back in those days? Was it a fairly popular topic, or were you kind of like a, a one-off, and you guys were kind of the lone wolf in the field back then? At least here. Uh, yeah, it definitely wasn't popular. Uh, nothing like today is. Uh, most people, we talked about this subject. Uh, most people, you know, it was taboo. You didn't talk about it. You were kind of crazy for thinking that stuff. Um, but it was interesting. The demographics was very interesting and in how, how it worked. Is, uh, if you were in a group, a social situation with, uh, you know, four or five people and you brought the subject up, they would sort of look at you like you were crazy. But the same person looking at you like you were crazy on a one-to-one -one basis would have all kinds of questions. So there was a, a, a lot of interest, but not openly. It just you just sort of didn't talk about it too much. Uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't accepted. You know, it's sort of like uh, like if you were were to talk about UFOs uh, ten years ago, people would look at you like you're something wrong with you. So. Yeah, it was difficult. It was a, it was a difficult thing, and uh, but it was a a lot more open to the idea when you're talking about business owners. So if somebody owned a business that was reputedly haunted, um, it was it was pretty easy to get into that building after hours. They would say, "Yeah, go ahead, have a look. Here's the key." So you know, it was kind of cool that way. Today you need insurance, you, you know, you need a bodyguard, you want to, you have to leave fingerprints at the door. Um, so, you know, it was a lot easier back then in certain ways. Um, mind you, we didn't have the technology that we do today. Um, right, so uh, tell us a little bit about some of the technologies and tools that were used back in the day compared to the ones that you use nowadays. Yeah, so everything everything today is simple. It's digital. Uh, you can download it to the to your computer. You can uh, enhance things. Back then, you were using a thirty-five millimeter film uh, or a Polaroid, Instamatic. Uh, and I mean, anybody that does investigations knows you go to a location, you're taking hundreds of photographs, and thirty-five mil. Unless you had a dark room, it was expensive. You had to go in, you had to drop it off at the drugstore or wherever. And then you had to go in and pay for every print. So, and you didn't know if you had anything or not. So you, you paid for everything. You took it home, you looked at it, and, um, you know, and it was, you know, it wasn't on a computer. We, there was no computer back then. So you were using uh, magnifying glasses and stuff like that. Um, we were using uh, tape recorders. And, uh, you know, baby powder or flour. Uh, you would lay it out on a, on a bag in a doorway somewhere and see if anything left uh, prints. And so there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of challenges. We didn't know there were challenges back then because we didn't know that this technology would exist. But, uh, you know, we didn't have internet. If you wanted to research something, you would have to go somewhere and look it up or 
would write a letter to somebody and hope for a reply. Right, too. And um, how do you feel that some of the tools have developed nowadays from the old days? Do you think some of those new tools that are out now have evolved from ones that you used back then? Like, are there certain ones that you still use? Absolutely. Uh, I still use, uh, I use the new tech, but I also use some of the old tech. Uh, I like old school stuff. I've, I've discovered you can leave a digital uh, recorder uh, recording in a room with a audio cassette tape recorder next to it, and you will get more EVPs on audio cassette than you will on the DVD recorder. So why that is, I think it has something to do with the electromagnetic frequencies, but they seem to work better. Um, so yeah, you're looking at the same recording equipment, same same time, same room, and one's detecting things and the other one's not. So um, there's advantages, disadvantages. The greatest advantage is going into a place and, and shooting hundreds of photographs and coming home, downloading it on the computer. It didn't cost me a cent. So, and there's so many tools to enhance those photos and see if you actually capture it. Right, yeah, I've heard that before too as well, um, that the actual tape recorders that use actual cassette tape and them actually pick up more sound or something, like you said, it has more energy to it that they can attach onto or something than the digital recorders that people use today. Um, I think there's something to do with the tape that they use as well. Well, it's a, yeah, it's electromagnetic. So um, I've seen, I've, I've heard it, I haven't seen them personally, but I've, I've heard of cases where brand new uh, cassette tapes still in the cellophane um, will have messages on it from a haunted location. It was sitting in, a, sitting in the guy's bag, not even open, brand new. He takes them out, puts them in, he, instead of pushing record, he pushes play and there's messages on it. So, you know, it's not, it's, sometimes it's not coming through the microphone. Right, they just get imprinted on somehow onto the tape directly through the energy. Right. 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 I never heard that before that uh, they've had uh, cases where there's been recordings placed on tape before opening the tape. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a... Uh... There's been several different cases. Different people have reported the same type of phenomena. Um, one of them did uh, experiments on it. It was the, uh, let me just check here. Yeah, the, uh, the skull experiment. They would use um, not only cassette tape, but they used Polaroid film, brand new film left in the container, never used. Uh, even the Polaroid film on that was the package is uh, finally opened and examined. There was uh, images on it. There was never, never, never been through a camera. Never seen a camera. So it's interesting how that happens. I mean, that's you know, if you can figure out how that works, uh, you'd probably be rich. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you can't blame it on double exposure either that way either because it's never been opened yet. So. Well, that's it. That's exactly right. And it was, you know, it, the old tech, I mean, you couldn't fool around with that stuff, really. I mean, unless you were, you know, some kind of uh, super genius or, you know, you work for Kodak, uh, Kodak Eastman, 
you know, you took a, you took a 35 millimeter photograph and uh, you, had a, you had a negative and it could be examined. You could see that's the original, it wasn't tampered with or, so evidence was evidence. You know, today with all this stuff we have, you know, with Photoshop and all this nonsense, this is this is why the skeptics are killing us because with all the technology we have today, anything can be faked. You have CGI, you have all kinds of stuff, and that's that's sort of unfortunate for us. It is in the field. It's getting harder and harder to uh, prove evidence. Uh, how how did you guys do that back in the day? Was it easier? Uh, obviously, it was easier, but what were some of the methods that you would go about to say, okay, well, we can prove this is paranormal? Yeah, proof is a funny thing. It's, um, you know, you, you need to, you know, it's like writing a, writing a, a media story. You need, you need more sources than just one source. Um, and I'll give you a great example of that. One of the investigations I was doing, um, we captured uh, electronic voice phenomena, or an EVP, of two, two spirits having a communication together. Um, it was a young man and an older woman, and the young man called the, called the older woman by name. He said, Miriam, they're here. And uh, she replied, she goes, thank you. So we had a name, Miriam. So that's interesting. It's not evidence. It's not proof. There's no, there's no proof involved there, but it's, it's interesting. Um, several weeks later, we had a medium come to the location. Our mediums are, are tested and, and true, and they, they have no information about the site. They don't, we don't, you know, they're just, just drip picked up and driven there, and then they give us a reading or whatever they're going to do. And they, she came in and she detected uh, an older woman, and she said she detected her name was Miriam. Now that is really interesting because that's two sources now. One's an EVP a couple of weeks ago, and now this medium is saying there's a Miriam here. So fast forward another month, and we were talking to the owner of the property, and um, mentioned the name of, of, of this lady, and she said, well, that's familiar. So she said, we were doing renovation work, and uh, we took some of the wall out, the the plaster, and because uh, it was an old place, and put drywall in. And then we found old newspapers and magazines. They used to use them for insulation back then. And uh, so she said, you want to look at them? We looked at them, and some of the mail delivery labels on the magazines were addressed to Miriam. So that's evidence. I have three sources that tell me this woman lived in that house. And it's corroborated through historical data. So, how you dispute that kind of evidence? I'm sure there's skeptics out there that can come up with some crazy idea, but to me, that's that's great evidence. Yeah, totally. I agree fully on that. Um, and of course, like you were mentioning earlier, that nowadays we have internet and stuff to do research on, but back then you wouldn't have had that. And um, would you? go to anybody to confirm that? Like, would you go back to, like, say, the records or the census and say, okay, yeah, that person did live there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and we have to do, you have to do your due diligence. It's historical research. Once you have that name, you have to go to, you can go to the archives, you can go to neighbors, you can go to uh, uh, 
tax rules, find out who lived in certain areas, uh, depending. I mean, you, you can only go back 100 years. You, I mean, we're up to 100 years. You can't. So it's 2012, uh, 2020. I can only go back to 1920. I can't see 1921, for example, right, because of the privacy laws. So if she was there between 18 something and 1920, then I can grab that information. If she was there after the 1920s, then it's it's sealed. I can't look at it. So there's some challenges, but you can get around those things by, you know, uh, talking to neighbors, long-term neighbors might remember these people. Um, uh, going to the city hall, see who uh, own owned the property or rented the property, things like that. So, yeah, you have to do your due diligence. And then once you have all the information, then, then you can tag it as evidence. Right, for sure. Uh, some, uh, sometimes uh, footwork is the best way to do things and talking to people. So. Oh, absolutely, that's part of the job. That's you know, that's it's not just running around looking for EVPs. It's it's part of the job. All this stuff is part of the job, right? Right. Um, for sources of information, right? You're, you've got you've. It's not just the, the spirit in the house. It's the property. It's the house. What's the history? What's happened there? Who are these people, and why are they still there? And let's find out about their lives. Right, and that's one thing that you were talking about to me quickly last week was how you do your investigations, how you put your effort into it. Uh, mm -hmm. How long does it normally take you guys to do an investigation? I don't really want to say from start to finish because you can never really finish an investigation, but uh, how long do you allow for an investigation to go on for? Right, all, all our investigations are, are long-term investigations. And that there's two different ones. The call for help. Uh, somebody's got something going on in their house or their business or whatever. You have to sort of clear those quick. So that could take uh, a couple of weeks, maybe a, a couple of months. But you want to try and resolve it because privacy issues. You don't want surveillance running in somebody's house, especially bedrooms and stuff. People are living there. So you have to be really careful what you're doing. So you, you want to get in and out as, as fairly quickly as you can while trying to resolve the issue for them. Um, and then there's the second type of investigation, which is pure research. So that's a vacant building, government owns it, or a private uh, company owns it. It's reputed to be haunted, and you ask for permission to use that building. So a prime example is I did a, a, a great deal of work for uh, the city of Mississauga, and they gave me a house that was reported haunted and they signed it off for three years. I had carte blanche. I just came and went when I wanted to. I set up surveillance. I did all my work. I expanded the perimeter be, uh, because we discovered that some of the spirits from that house were traveling to a different house across the road. So we had to seek out who owned that property and get permission. It was abandoned as well. It was boarded up. It was owned by uh, Hydro. Um, we got permission to, to extend our investigation to the to that house, which was an old farm. So we had both properties going, and we used that for three years. Um, you know, a lot of our investigations, that type of investigations, will always last two, three. Uh, the longest one I've done is a six-year investigation, which was my first book. 
All right, let's uh, switch to that topic a little bit. I was going to push that towards the end of the podcast, but we can talk about it now since uh, you mentioned it. Um, you, you have a couple of books published out there right now. Um, do you want to sort of talk about that one a little bit? As one yeah, of the topics? Uh, sure, yeah. Sure. Well, I actually have five books. Five books published all through Dunnern Press in Toronto. And um, my first one was called Overshadows. True Canadian haunting, and it was uh, it was uh, an old uh, an old locate old estate down in uh, Etobicoke. Uh, very haunted. Uh, very interesting story. Fascinating story. You know, it had to do with the Second World War, and how the uh, uh, the homeowners, the property owners, were uh, arrested for complicity during the Second World War with ties to Italy. And uh, so when they were interred, uh, there was a guy, and it was kind of funny at the time. Um, so there was a guy put in charge of the property. He used to work there for the family. He was a very nasty individual. And uh, he, 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 hated, he hated women. He hated animals. Uh, just like children, just a, a nasty kind of guy. Um, and he made a deal with a, an abortionist. Now, this is the 40s, right? Uh, who used to work for some gangsters not far from the, far from this location to come down and uh, apply his trade. He gets a kickback. He can use the property and uh, get a kickback. So they, he would do that. And um, one of the one of the spirits there was a, a young female. She, uh, she was, well, she's angry about it, first of all. And second of all, um, she certainly wanted out of the floor. She wanted a, she wanted a, a proper burial. But, uh, so we got involved with that. And then, of course, this, this individual, Edward, who was uh, the nasty guy, well, he, of course, he doesn't like uh, his secrets. Told. So he was uh, he was terrorizing uh, terrorizing the family living at the house there. Hello. Yeah, we're still here. Yep. Are you still good? Okay. Yep. I thought I lost you. <laughs> yeah, we had a quick disconnect, but it's back on now. So I think you can continue, all right? So yeah, it sounds interesting so far. Um, was there any activity that? happened from that then once you got into investigate there oh it was one of the craziest hauntings i've ever seen i you know my uh the the uh the guy that was living in the house called me he says uh, i got some problems see there was a young girl that lived in that house that he lived in uh, he took it over afterwards and uh she had committed suicide and then she came back the spirit of her came back to the house. She loved the house. And uh, he called me, he said, you got to come over here. And I, uh, this is my basic introduction to this property. And I said, yeah, I'll be right there. And I went over and uh, met him at the back door. He was standing outside. And we walked into the kitchen. And all you can hear upstairs, it sounded like somebody wearing army boots running up and down the hall, slamming doors. And I looked at him and I said, what, what's going on? Who's up there? And he says, we're the only guys in the house. So that was my introduction. I went up there and checked every room, looked under every bed, checked every window, looked every, I looked everywhere. There was no one up there. 
And that was my introduction to hose, and it got crazier from there. Interesting. And uh, how long did that investigation continue for then? Was that one that lasted a couple of years, that one? Or? Well, that one was, that one, that lasted six years. Because every time I found a piece of information, I had, uh, you know, two dozen more questions. So uh, it just, the information just kept coming and coming and coming. And, I, I, you know, um, I don't know if you want to say uh, there was an intervention or, or, but I mean, they were helping me on the investigation. So I went from a privately owned uh, property to this, this rich guy that got interred to a family that bought it in 1950 and then redeveloped the property, the whole property, which was a large, large property. They were building buildings and all kinds of stuff, but they left the original mansion. And, uh, so I asked, uh, my brother was involved with me at the time. He came down and he said, he, he talked to the owners and he said, they have a big file room. It goes all the way back to when they first bought the place. Do you want to look and see if we can find some information? And I said, sure. And we walked into the, it's an underground tunnel because he used to run booze uh, back in the, in the, back in the early days. And, uh, he said, you want to go down there? I said, yeah. So we went down into the tunnels and there was all these files. And I, I, as soon as I walked in, I was disheartened because there was just millions of them, boxes and crates. I mean, you can tell some of the crates are the old uh, Coca-Cola and Canada dry crates from the, from the 50s. The dust and the uh, dead bugs, it was just crazy. And I, I said, no, you're never going to find nothing here, man. You can spend... You can spend two years in here. And I turned around and I was about to leave and there was an old crate, a wooden crate sitting there. There's a little piece of paper sticking up like a flag. And I pulled it out and it was talking. That paper was dated from 1950, the year they started building on that property. And it was one of the first tenants and he was talking about the ghostly activity in that particular uh, address that I was looking at. I mean, it was handed to me. Oh, there's wow. no way. I should, yeah, there's no way I should have found it. It's an impossibility, but it was handed to me. No, that's uh, definitely so, a spirit message there for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, she wanted out of that floor. She definitely wanted, and we almost almost got her out of the floor. Huh. Um, but then the you know once we started finding odd things, he. he the owner said, yeah, go dig it out. And, uh, you know, we chopped out the floor and uh, we were finding flagstones, heavy, heavy flagstones that matched the fireplace uh, two feet down. And I said, well, why would they be here? And uh, so we had to get a Hilti gun to chop those uh, blocks up. And uh, the owner just said, no, you know, that's enough. You know, and he got, I guess he got nervous for some, whatever reason. And he told us that that was enough there. And he brought in a contractor to pour concrete and uh, he had to, to report that concrete three times. It just wouldn't sell right. But they finally did it. And that, that's a, a tragedy because, you know, she should have she been pulled out. She should have had a, a proper burial. 
Right. Do you think that he knew something was under there then, that he was uh, hiding something? Oh, he was convinced. Yeah, he was absolutely convinced that we were onto it because we found a piece of bone two feet down below one of the hearth rocks. And uh, that's when he shut us down. I, you know, maybe his grandfather was in the bad stuff too and he didn't know who, who buried who where, right? So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you don't want uh, which one being found probably, so. Yeah, not that, not that I'm saying they did anything like that. I'm just, you know, I'm just mm. off the top of my head. Why would you, why would you shut something down like that? I mean, we're so close. It just, it, you know, it's disheartening. Right. Right, that's really interesting. And um, what are the other t subjects of your other books? Are they all the stories that you've uh, encountered, or are they some things about investigations? Or because you have uh, uh, a few other ones as well. So yeah, usually it's um, usually it's one location, but a couple of books. Like my second book was a collection of ghost stories uh, from from Ontario, and uh, uh, the back the back half of the book were small investigations that we did uh, oh. and then uh, and then the third book was the one I was telling you about Mississauga where I had that property for three years I was called ghosts and then uh, the fourth book was uh, ghosts of the Canadian National Exhibition uh, a manager of the archives uh, wanted to speak with me. We, we spoke for a while about a, a haunting in, in her particular building because there's plenty of buildings down there on the property. And uh, I just asked her, I said, well, am I, am I working on this or what? And she said, yeah, I thought you were. <laughs> so uh, there was a bit of a timeline, so I had to get that done. But it's still 13 months I spent on the property with my brother and, and team. and. Uh, I think we did a great job. And then the, uh, the fifth book was called Meeting Place of the Dead. And that was uh, out near Georgetown, very old property down there. That was uh, a very interesting, uh, very interesting place, quite an active place. I think we cataloged 13 different spirits there. Uh, most of them very pleasant. Some of them not, but most of them very pleasant. Okay, sounds interesting too, um, especially the one about the uh, exhibition place there. That sounds pretty cool. Um, are these books available for people to purchase, or are they private, or uh, can anybody purchase them from you or from somewhere else? Uh, uh, no, I don't sell them. I don't keep stock. Um, but you can you go to Amazon and just type in my name, Richard Palmazano, at uh, Amazon, and all my books will come up. Or just you can just Google me and. Uh, Google will bring me up, and uh, you can see my books available. And uh, Amazon usually keeps a good stock of them, from what I understand. All right, there you go. So anybody that's interested in some good Ontario paranormal stories, uh, some history dating back uh, quite a ways, uh, can check out Richard's books. Just search on Amazon for them. So, um, so let's go back to a little bit about your history and what you used to do. Um, you used to be, aside from one of the oldest, if not the oldest, paranormal team in Ontario from 1979, um, and Canada as well. Uh, you also used to do security and law enforcement. Uh, can you talk a little bit about your history with that field and how it kind of helps you uh, with your paranormal stuff? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I'm retired now. I did 37 years within law enforcement and security, different private securities, and, uh, corporate stuff, and uh, worked at some universities. But um, yeah, a lot of the skill sets you, you need, uh, or or I find that are helpful, uh, are the same skill sets you would use in that in that field. Uh, for example, you know how to investigate, uh, how surveillance works, uh, securing evidence, handling evidence, uh, talking with witnesses, taking testimony, uh, report writing, uh, doing research. So a lot of those skill sets are, are interchangeable. You know, you use them in the field, uh, being whether you're investigating a, a homicide or, or whether you're investigating. A, uh, a person that's already dead <laughs> you want to find out who it might be so uh, yeah a lot of those skills are interchangeable you know and uh, when you look at uh, what we do in, the, in, in a paranormal field uh, you're only dealing with uh, questionable subject matter about five percent of the time which is that paranormal ghostly haunting thing but the other 95 percent is all uh, test it true, scientific, proven to work um, techniques. All right, whether you're using uh, specific equipment or or using uh, specific surveillance or law enforcement techniques to gain information. So, really, you know, the more you can learn. Um, the better off it is, the more information you understand. Uh, people should understand that, you know, all these different things help. Just looking at architecture, you know, to look at the house and know that's a, that's a salt box uh, design from the 1840s. Tells you something about the construction of the house, what type of materials were used. Is there, um, how heating, heating and air conditioning works, what kind of noises do they make, what kind of drafts can they cause. So. Anything you look at and learn is a plus. If you have the more knowledge you have, the better you are to uh, tackle some of these hard, hard questions. Not everything's paranormal. People go in and go, oh, "Did you hear that?" Yeah, it's a radiator and it pings once in a while because it's heating up or cooling down. So the more information you have, the better equipped you are. So you know, there's a, a wide, wide variety of of skill sets that you can learn and look at. Right, so um, through your, let's go back to like evidence and stuff, when you're dealing with evidence on a professional level and you bring that technique into the paranormal, uh, how can you compare the two together? Like, uh, are there certain skill sets you would use to say collect evidence for the paranormal that you would use in the field? So collecting evidence. Well, that's, that's uh, yeah, it, it's important. If you feel that it's an uh, important piece of evidence, it gets expensive. Um, for example, you're using a digital camera, you might have an expensive uh, high quality SD card, but you might have captured one fantastic photograph. That doesn't mean you transfer that photograph to your computer, clear the SD card and take Take the camera back in the field. No, no. That SD card has to be secured. 
you can transfer a copy of the picture for, for, for analysis, but that SD card with the original photographs has to be secured. And this is where it gets expensive because that's going to have all the metadata, the true metadata, everything that's going to be analyzed on that SD card. It's going to show that it wasn't tampered with and you have to handle it properly. It's got to sealed, it's signed, dated, and locked away. And that way, if there's any scrutiny down the road and say, well, I don't know about this, you could have did it on Photoshop, here's the evidence, here's the, here's the SD card. So, you know, there's, it, things get expensive and people really don't want to get into that kind of expense. I mean, it's already expensive to buy equipment, right? You bought know, maybe a $400, $500 camera and now you got to start locking Locking SD cards up and stuff like that. I mean, batteries alone, you're, you're, you know, <laughs> you know, a buck a battery now. So, you know, a, a weekend out is you're looking at sixty dollars in batteries. Yeah, true that. We do that every time we go. We always stock up on the batteries before we head out yeah. somewhere. So, beer club. Yeah, and you can't use cheap stuff. It's got to no. be the good, high quality stuff and. Uh, and then you get into a site where some something kills your batteries, drains them, and then it's you know. So now you're looking at how much money. But that's hey, that's the joy of the work. Yeah, we find that too as well. Say you get the uh, dollar store variety batteries; they don't last too long, and uh, you end up with uh, broken down equipment very quickly that way. But if you yeah. get like the Duracells or Energizer or what have you, then they seem to last a lot longer. So. Yeah. Yeah. You. You got to use the best stuff, and you always got to have a you know uh, a backup uh, because that's where it's going to happen. You're going to find that the opportunity is going to present itself just when your batteries are dead. So you should have a backup plan. Um, like I always tell people, because you know people ask me, well, I, what you know, what do I do? I'm a safety guy, so. You know, always have a backup plan. Always have, you know, if you're going to take a flashlight, take two. Because God forbid you're in a, an old place in the middle of the night, it's pitch black, there's hazards all over the place, and your battery's dying, your flashlight. So have a second have a second flashlight. Have an exit plan, you know? Yeah, does that sort of training that you've had as well with uh, law enforcement prepare you for actual safety and stuff on locations like you just well, I used to, mentioned like a yeah, backup worked, plan yeah yeah absolutely when i worked uh well a lot of the jobs will teach you that but you know my dad taught me that when i was seven years old if you're gonna if you're gonna get into something make sure you can get out of it uh and that was the why you know those were very wise words coming from my father and i took heed of it and i, I always carried that with me and it served me very well uh, you know, doing some of the jobs I did. Uh, so, yeah, always have an exit plan. doesn't matter what you're doing. Uh, whether it's on the job or, you're, you know, you do dangerous work or even if you don't do dangerous work. You know, you could be out uh, with your girlfriend or your wife at a restaurant. Well, you should have an exit plan. You should know if something goes wrong, which things tend to do. Um, say, say there's a truck accident in the front of the... Uh, restaurant and there's a fire how do you get out you should already know that you know the panic the panic with 70 other people to figure it out at the moment is the wrong wrong way to go you should always know your surroundings you should always have 
some idea what you're going to do in the inevitable, and you're never caught off guard, not ever caught off guard. You should always expect that strange thing to come out of nowhere. And 99.9% .9 of the time, it doesn't. But try and catch me off guard. Ask my team. <laughs> it can't be done. So, because I expect the unexpected always. Yeah, for um, sure. I was working. I was working a night shift one time. I was on the on the phone, and it was three o'clock in the morning. And uh, one of my one of my staff walked past my office and threw a firecracker in there. And I didn't even flinch. It went off. I mean, it was deafening. It went off, and I didn't miss a beat. I was I just carried on my phone conversation. And uh, he was he was pretty upset because I didn't even flinch. Because I expect that from people. That's uh, you know. Yeah, you can expect it from people, but you can also expect that from spirit as well when you're investigating. You never know what they're going to do, so you don't know if they're going oh, to right. attach to you, if they're going to attack you, or if they're just biding their time, right? Well, that's it. You're dealing with the unknown. These just because they're spirits, they're people too. They're just physically removed from their bodies, but they can react and act like anybody some some are good some are bad some are uh, some have a, a sense of humor some don't some want you to get out and some want you to stay some want you to hear a story so you have to be prepared there's no point in going to look for this stuff as soon as you find it you're going to run screaming from the building what's the point uh, you might as well just stay home and watch scary movies yeah for sure uh, be prepared, I guess, is the best uh, uh, lesson from that, right? Just be prepared for any situation in life or investigating life. So. You know, it's, yeah, if you look, you know, if you follow follow that guideline in life, you're, you always do better. You always, you know, people people run left off the side of a hill and, you, and you know, you go turn right and you're in, in the clear because you knew. You know, hey, I gotta go right if something goes wrong, right? So it's just it's just planning and, and looking around. You don't even have to plan. Just look around. Just be aware. Hey, what, where's that? Go? You know, where's that door go? Uh, you know, you should always think of things ahead of time. We we um, we went and did a an investigation at the Scarborough Guild. We were invited there by uh, City Council, and he uh, the night we the night we went. He embedded us with uh, two Toronto Star journalists, one a photojournalist and, and one a, a writer. And uh, there's a there's a long there's a long tunnel down there, and it's got a steel door on it. And um, you know, people go in there, and if that door shuts, there's no handles; it just locks. You're stuck. That's it. You're locked in there. There's no cell service because you're underground, and then it's all concrete and cinder block. So you have to look at that and you go, well, you know, this is a hazard, this is dangerous, so you have to put put a guide on it. Get somebody to stand by. They have to stand by and make sure that door never closes when you're in there. Because there's no point in the whole team going down the end of that hallway and that door closes on you, which in most haunted locations, you see these doors tend to do just what you don't want them to do. Um, and then what do you do? And then you're stuck. And uh, knowing the Scarborough Guild, nobody's going to look for you. Uh, it could be could be months. So you have to look at all these things and be prepared for these things and understand the mechanics of things and 
And when you're dealing with the, the supernatural, um, you have to plan ahead. You have to think, okay, all I need is a trickster and I'm in big trouble. So let's try not to get into trouble. Right, too. And I think that leads back to, um, you were saying, like, you get permission to stuff to enter places and people know where you are and stuff at all times. And it leads me to wonder why some of these teams nowadays, aka trespass on properties just to go investigating. I don't think that's right. Um, our team as well here at Haunted Live, anytime we go to investigate a property, we always gain permission and a signed contract before we enter any uh, property at all. So. Um, I don't understand where sometimes people think they could just wander out the properties at night and start checking stuff out. I don't feel that's right either. So. Absolutely not. You should never trespass. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, it's illegal. You shouldn't be doing it. Uh, two, you're going to be wasting uh, the police, uh, police response time where they could be doing other work. But the most important thing, and I hear from a lot of different groups, and they'll call me and they say, hey, I got a great photo or I got a, a, a tremendous EVP. And uh, one of my questions is, how did you get onto the property? Did you ask permission? No, I didn't ask. I trespassed. Right there, I end the conversation. I don't want to deal with them anymore because you know what? If you're going to break a law to do something like this, how am I going to believe anything you tell me from that point on? Everything that you gained after you broke that law is garbage to me because I, how do I believe you? You might be telling the truth, but hey, you know what? Nothing is sacred to you. You, you can't even follow the law. So why are you going to follow the rules? So yeah, I just dismiss people like that. If you have to, if you have to break in or you have to trespass, then whatever you capture is not, it's not worth anything to me. I don't, I don't even want to hear about it. Oh, exactly. I understand that 100%. So uh, I just wanted to bring that up because sometimes we see things on YouTube or wherever that people are just doing challenges or whatever have you. And I just don't understand how they're allowed to even post stuff like that on YouTube to start with. And they get tons of followers. So I don't get it. So. Well, yeah, I know. It's, uh, well, this is the state we're in in the paranormal field. It's, uh, it's atrocious. You know, 90% of them are just thrill seekers running around, making noise, causing trouble. Uh, you know, every once in a while you see they burnt down a historic property because they were drinking and messing around. And, uh, yeah, I don't get it. I, I did an article on it, uh, oh, I don't know, a few months back. It was picked up in the uh, Chicago Tribune. And uh, it just shows that... Uh, just shows how, how, how horrendous the whole field is, you know. Uh, most of these people came out of, um, came out of, uh, you know, these these crazy uh, reality TV shows, right? Ghost adventures or or uh, ghost hunters. You know, they saw it on TV and went, oh, that's cool, I can impress my girlfriend or I can, you know, I can uh, I go to a party and be really cool because I look at me, I got night vision. Um, you know, and uh, it's not impressive. It's it's causing so much harm within the paranormal community because there. It's so much noise now. It's just noise. It's all, it's all background noise. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. I want to be a TV star. I want to want to make money. I want to you know. And it's they're creating hoaxes and lies and fictitious stuff. 
and uh, they're tying up important properties now. Property owners won't even talk to you because 92 people called her that that week and said, "Hey, can I come in? Can I, can I get into your property? Can I do this? Can I do?" So she stopped answering. She doesn't want anybody anymore to come in there. Or there's so much going on now. You need to uh, you need to be insured insured and bonded to get into a property. You know, you have to two two three thousand bucks to get in for a one nighter. Uh, people are taking over uh, properties, valuable properties, and and doing uh, group investigations now. Right? Hey, you know what? Throw me fifty bucks and uh, bring twenty eight people, and we can run around this haunted property all night. It's just ridiculous, and and the big ones pushing that agenda is, uh, well, Zach from Ghost Adventure started that. He'd go around and go, "Hey, you let us in, and we'll we'll build a we'll build this really cool haunted thing about the property, and you give us a cut, and we'll we'll drive all kinds of people to your property. You could do ghost tours, right? And now uh, Kindred Spirits is doing it as well. They're they're running around trying to Haunt property so they can do ghost tours and you know make some extra pocket money. So I mean it's just causing all kinds of damage. Yeah, I totally agree with that too. Another thing with that too is like uh, people from those types of shows that you're mentioning, um, they'll get kicked off one show, but then they'll start up another show of their own and just continue the damage again. So they just keep giving them show after show after show, and that's another thing I don't like it either about the field too right now. So. Yeah, sure. Well, it's all, it's just nonsense. It's all nonsense. I mean, uh, uh, the, the biggest kick I get is these uh, paranormal awards. They came out with these paranormal awards. Well, it's a popularity contest. Unless you, you know, uh, you look at people that have been in this field for 30, 40, 50 years doing this work. Um, they have no recognition. They don't actually care about the recognition. But it's it's like the popular girl or the popular guy at school, right? He's He's been on TV. And, uh, hey, call him up. Give him the award, man. Look. Doesn't matter what he's done in, in, in the field. Nothing. Not a thing. He's made no contributions. He has no theory. He's made no uh, advancements. Nothing. So it's just, it's pretty ridiculous stuff. Yes, totally agree with that too. Um, I think that people like you, like us, that have been into the field for 20 plus years um, should have recognition before somebody that has a fresh TV show out. Uh, I just think that people that have been putting the effort into the development and the scientists, the scientific research, and those kind of things should be getting the awards, uh, not somebody that's been on a TV show for a couple years. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's not about the fame. It's not about the fortune. We do the work because we love the work. It's a passion. You, you do this because you're passionate about it. You want to learn things. You want to discover new stuff. You want to, like, I'm, I'm a theorist. So I develop theory. And if people want to listen, I tell them what, what the new theories are in hopes that they'll go out and experiment with those theories prove me right or prove me wrong that's what it's all about that's peer review that's how we do things um, it's a you know 
paranormal research for life after death falls under parapsychology and parapsychology falls under psychology, which is a very soft science. Most scientists will laugh at you because they don't even believe it's a science. But it is, it's a soft science and that's the category we fall under. Um, so we have to do things to the best of our ability, but when you're dealing with the mind or the supernatural, a lot of these things are repeatable or you can't reproduce them or you can't bring them into a lab to cut them open and examine them uh, like a hard science. So it's a lot of um, theory, it's a lot of observation, and we try to do the best we can by taking that information and trying to make sense of it, just like a psychologist would. Um, if you ask a, a, a scientist, I don't care which type of scientist, ask them how the human mind works or uh, why we dream or things. They can't tell you. They have no idea. There's, there's dozens of things. They, they have no idea. They can speculate or they can give you some theory, you know, but they don't know. So it's, you know, it's a lot of theory. And the, when you look at science, most of it is theory as well. It's their best guess. Based on certain information, it's their best guess. Like uh, dark matter or dark energy. It's the same as ghosts. They've never seen it. They've never felt it, touched it, measured it. They believe it's there. Well, it's interchangeable. Well, I believe ghosts are there. I, you know, if they've touched me, I've, tell, I've felt them. I've heard them. I've seen them. I've smelt them. But I, I can't bring it into a lab. It's the same with dark energy or dark matter. They can't bring it into a lab, but they think it's there. So it's a lot of theory. Yeah, I'll totally agree too with that for sure. Uh, hopefully, one day there'll be uh, enough evidence and enough uh, proof out there for people, skeptics and whatnot, to come to some conclusion. It might not be agreed upon 100%, but hopefully, at some point, there'll be enough conclusion out there for people to accept. Well, I think the best we're going to achieve is is a personal belief. I don't think you're ever going to bring. Uh, the right kind of evidence forward to convince the masses that hey this is real this is this is life after death here it is uh, i don't think that's ever going to happen i think it's going to be a personal thing i think you're going to go out looking for it you're going to have your own experiences come to your own conclusions and you're either going to believe or not believe and i think that's the best you can hope for i don't think uh I don't think you'll ever come up with that piece of evidence that's going to sway the masses. Yeah, I kind of agree with that also. A lot of it does have to do with uh, personal belief and personal experiences. So um, as long as you know what you believe in, that's fine as well. So. Yeah, and that, that, that's terrific. I, you know, and I, that's why I do this. I do it for myself. I want to go out and I want to learn. I want to experience these things. and talk with people, uh, you know, okay, they're dead, but hey, it's still an interesting conversation. And uh, and those that do believe, I, that's why I write books and articles and, you know, little snippets on Facebook and stuff like that, because if you're like-minded and you want to see what I've experienced, well, here it is, you know, take it or leave it, uh, believe it, don't, um, this is 
this is my information that I experienced, and here it is. So uh, a lot of people like it, and they buy the books, or they, they read the articles, and a lot of people don't, so they don't buy the books or read the articles. You know, there's always going to be uh, different people and different beliefs, and that's that's perfectly fine. That's what makes the world go round. Yep, totally for sure. Well, thank you very much, Richard, uh, for coming on and uh, talking to us tonight here at Haunting My Podcast. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, uh, coming back on, especially since we had the issues last week. And uh, they seem to be pretty good this week here. So um, thanks again for coming on and talking about uh, what you do in the field. And uh, it's really interesting since you're uh, pretty much the oldest team in Canada. So thanks again. All right, Trevor. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yep, uh, take care and uh, we'll talk to you later on. And you're always welcome back here at uh, Haunting Live. So, Haunting Live podcast. And uh, we've had a few connection issues here tonight, so we apologize for them as well. But overall, I think it was a pretty great podcast tonight. So, uh, we want to thank Richard for taking time out to come back on the podcast show here tonight at Haunting Live. It was great having him. Uh, just to recap with him, he is the oldest, or one of the oldest at least, uh, research paranormal teams here in Ontario and Canada as well. Uh, they formed the Searchers Group back in 1979, so it's been uh, quite a while since they've been in the field, and he's had some great information to share with us here about stories that he's encountered uh, during his investigations, and uh, also his time in law enforcement for over 35 years as well. So. Uh, reputable background history for Richard and uh, a lot of interesting stories. Don't forget also to check out his books that he has available. He said they're available on Amazon, so go type in Richard Palmasino and uh, Hauntings and Research, I think, on um, on Amazon, and you should be able to find his uh, books there listed on Amazon if you're interested in some material research, especially. So. Uh, but uh, thanks guys so much for tuning in. We won't keep it too much longer, but I do want to just do a quick recap of uh, our Ghost of the Queens event that we held uh, two weekends ago. We were going to recap it last week, but we had some technical issues and couldn't uh, continue the show last week. But um, just want to thank everybody that did come out and support us at the Queens event. It was amazing. We had about 20 people all together, including us as the host there. and. Uh, Sally Diane as well. Uh, Sally is our colleague that uh, works at the Queens uh, in Stratford and helped us put on the event. So big thank you to Sally and everybody there at the Queens for allowing us to host both of the Queens this year. It was amazing. And uh, just so you guys know, we are already planning for next year's event at the Queens Inn. It's going to be along the same lines as uh, we had this year. So look forward to having that out next year. Uh, we're looking at launching ticket sales around January time. So January 1st or 2nd around there, uh, we should be launching uh, tickets for the event. So keep an eye out for the post for that. And we look forward to having you guys. Uh, the seance was amazing that we did. Uh, had a lot of fun at the pajama party Friday night uh, that we hosted in the hotel, not just our wing. We had a few rooms booked in the wing and um, we just did different card readings in different rooms and tarot cards and stuff like that. So that was awesome to have everybody just an open door session and just walk where you like to go check out the building and stuff like that. So 
Uh, dinner was amazing also on Friday night. Uh, we would also like to thank our special guest, Karen, that came on to host uh, Crystal Talk. Uh, things were a little choppy as well there, but uh, we'll get things tweaked out for next year as well with that, trying to get something better hosted, hopefully. Uh, but thank her for her time as well, coming out and talking uh, her talk on Crystals on Friday night at the dinner. So that was an amazing time and look forward to the next year with that. But also want to just take a quick moment and mention that we will be doing a card reading with Chris here at Haunting Live. Uh, that will be happening this coming Monday at 8 o'clock. Okay, so uh, Monday at 8 o'clock, uh, look for spiritual messages from the other side here on the channel. And uh, we'll be doing a post for that. Usually we also charge for that, but this one will be a free reading night. So you guys will be reading for free this week if you come into Spiritual Messages Night uh, with Chris here at Haunting Light Podcast. So look forward to that as well. So um, other than that, uh, we are doing some stuff with the website. So uh, with Christmas and stuff coming up for all the sales, we are going to start doing some special sales and promotion on hauntinglifepodcast.com under our merch. Uh, a bunch of you guys have just recently got some stuff from us, so you know who you are. Thank you guys so much. We appreciate that. Um, and we're going to start some sales here fairly shortly. So look for some special sales starting on hauntinglinepodcast.com under our merch store. So with that, guys, thank you so much. A big thank you to uh, Richard Palmasino of the Searchers Group for coming back on tonight after last week's uh, technical issues. Uh, seemed to be a bit better this week, so we're thankful for that. So. Otherwise, guys, have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning in to Haunting Live here. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week. Great weekend and happy hauntings. Did you hear that? Thanks for watching. And of course, subscribe.